0: Good morning, everyone. Can you hear me in the back? Great. So today we're going to add in mindfulness of chitta, or mindfulness of mind and heart. And the heart part, in English, to include emotions, but also sometimes a body level knowing, something that isn't so wordy or intellectual or conceptual. But anytime that you feel you're aware, and part of your awareness feels embodied. So, that whole uh, chitta is meant to collect all the ways that we are aware and present and relating to our environment. So, mindfulness of chitta, or mindfulness of mind in an expansive definition inclusive definition. So there are several ways to do that. Um, We recommend that you still stay primarily oriented towards your body level experience. So while sitting, doing a scan with your body where you have a body, where you're breathing, next to that is still doing mindfulness of Vedana. So checking in every now and then are these sensations in my body, or in this body, uh, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? Are these thoughts that are happening, are they pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? That can be helpful to then do mindfulness of the mind, because the mind is often in reaction to the pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. So, chances are, if you're experiencing something pleasant, the mind is often in a happier mood. It doesn't have to be. If you're experiencing something unpleasant, you might notice that your mind is on the border of being averse. You also might have the opposite, which is amazing, to see your body uh, feeling pleasant. Vedna, there being pleasure there. But your mind isn't. Your mind is in a grumpy mood. So you can see that too, but that becomes interesting, that there's reasons to be relaxed and feeling in the mind some type of ease or pleasure, but you might find your mind is impatient or, or struggling. So it's almost like a pyramid where you still uh, orient your attention to body level experience when sitting and walking, and then towards your immediate sense doors uh, when you're in the dining hall eating. Checking in on whether your experience is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. But it's a long day. And so you can also add in there how would I describe, what word would I use for this mental side of the experience, the mind side of the experience? So that's about how often you might do it as opposed to just doing it. There are meditative traditions, insight meditation traditions that preference, mindfulness of the mind, over the body. But uh, what we're recommending here in this retreat is that we still keep some body awareness. Uh, It's like giving a balloon a string to hold on to. And without the body, our minds are endlessly floaty and they go all over the place. So then to be mindful of the mind, sometimes you can just ask the direct question How's my mind right now? Or how, you can say your name in the third person. How's so and so's mind? Uh, how's Temple's mind? Like Peaceful and, yeah, a little floaty. He's not a morning person. Experimenting with no caffeine today. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, a little groggy, but well, <laughs> like, okay, I can taste that. I'm, and I can taste that in my own mind stream. And then come back to feel your body. So that's just uh, spot checking, you know? And then you can ask specific questions from the, the actual writings, is to know your mind when it's angry, when it's not angry, when it's greedy, not greedy, and when it's confused or not confused. So those are the three poisons of knowing This diluted, confused mind, this averse mind, or this, uh, greedy mind. And when those are not happening, so, uh, some of you might already be irritated. (laughs) You might have woke up, woken up with this grumpiness, or it might be coming over you. But if it's not, that's also something to know. And so you get to Look around and say, Yeah, my mind definitely can get angry. But it's not now. That's actually something I could know. What is that like? Hmm. That's patient. It's not so agitated. Okay, this is a mind without anger. That question actually will will give a lot of information because we're not always angry or greedy or confused, but then we wouldn't know what to be mindful of, because usually the mind is balanced, and being balanced, things don't stand out as much. You might also know the tone to the mind by what content is coming up. So if you're if your mind is in a humorous phase it will probably be telling itself funny jokes or remembering funny times laughter with friends or planning a prank on somebody and you like, oh, interesting happy mind, pranking mind oh this is what this mind is like when it's creative and, and funny it's like, oh but there is a little bit of vengeance in there I can taste that <laughs> So it's not totally happy mind, it's actually vengeance mind trying to cover its trail. (laughs) This is just funny, don't be so uptight. (laughs) And so sometimes by the content of what your mind is doing, you can tell, like you're judging, 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 judging. Like, that's a lot of content of judging, must be in a judging mind. Okay, yeah, I can now see it. So sometimes what the overt content of your mind is gives you a sense that you might be in that mode. This is thinking mind. This mind is simple and present. Those are noble things, but you might have a a clue by how you are being in that moment. This is easy to be with the breath. Okay. Okay. This is a mind of ease, some attention, some gathered attention. This mind cannot even get to half a breath. This mind is wandering. I have this loose idea that I should be aware of my body. I go, oh yeah, that reminds me of a time when I, and the next thing you know, (laughs) I didn't even get to half a breath. Interesting. And it's like, okay, that's kind of a flavor of the mind at hand. What's not so helpful is to try to find the perfect word um, because by the time you maybe have found a slightly better word, that mind moment is now downstream and you're actually in a different mind that's searching for the perfect word of what happened a minute ago and you're not really being mindful of the mind in that moment. You're trying to be mindful of a mind that's no longer there. So I had a friend who said... They did uh Tarzan noting. Uh. uh, uh. <laughs> and it did asking themselves to name something had them inquire, but if they actually had to find the right word, it made their mind spin. So they tried very simple Oh yeah. Mm. 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 Mm-hmm. mm. And he said, It actually stabilized his inquiry, but he didn't have to get lost in finding the right word. So, I know my mind, but I'm not even going to try to find a word for this
1: mess.
0: (laughs) And then it's popcorn-y, or it's liquid. It's, It's shifting. By the time a little irritation comes and you know it, it might have passed. It might have just been a flash. If at some point you feel like the balloon has lost its string, and you're trying to be mindful of the mind, but it's just you're floating around, and you're not being all that particularly mindful. Uh, you can note that like that's a kind of mind, uh, mind without a string, is just floating around. But I will come down and see if I can reengage with my body and put aside being mindful of my mind. So those are some tips, you know. Being with your, with your body and breath, and then seeing if there's ease in that, if there's irritation in that, then you can find what your mind is doing right in your mindfulness of the body. This is easeful. This is dull. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing here. It's like, okay, right in the practice of being mindful of your body, you can experience many kinds of uh, minds visiting, Mind stays visiting. Or if your mind is pulled into content and you keep coming back to the body, you can then look at that content and say, wow, I I really seem to be obsessing about this thing. I wonder if that means I'm in this kind of mind state. There's a lot of worry. Oh, worried mind. There's a lot of planning, planning mind. There's a lot of memory, memory mind. And then you're being mindful of your mind by tracking some of the content that's coming through. Those are two uh, good starter places to start building this better intimacy with your mind. And then remember, uh, don't take it so personally, but do be intimate with your mind. And if you don't take it so personally, you'll actually probably be more intimate with your mind. If you don't judge yourself, Because you're in a grumpy mood, you can then be more intimate with the grumpy mind. But if you take the grumpy mind personally, you're already struggling and judging it. And it's harder to be intimate if there's uh, a resistance. Um, Or the opposite is, I finally am the person I've always wanted to be because this momentary emotion is passing through me. (laughs) Yeah, that's not the most, uh, that's not the best base to be intimate with temporary, you know, that once-in-a-lifetime clarity. It's like, yeah, once-in-a-lifetime you get this clear, and there it goes. <laughs> so with that said, find a posture that allows your body to be at ease. Posture that invites your animal body into stillness. And ease. Then we can start with some gathering of intention that we're really not here to sort out the past. We're not here to sort out the future. So when we recognize these things we can let them go and give a preference towards present-time experiences, especially in the body. One just aware that you have a body. Maybe the posture your body's in. Then we can feel into the sensations that are easy to attend to in our body. Any feelings of temperature or weight, points of contact where our weight is being supported. Sensations where our clothes are touching our body and where our skin is exposed to the air. You might have an intuition about which parts of your body are softer, like skin and soft tissue, which parts of your body are more firm, where there's bone, or cartilage. And then there's our breathing process. Cool air coming in our nose, warm air going out. The stretching, expansion in our chest, and then it's relaxation. Maybe the slight rising of your shoulders, and then they're falling. About the Vedna tone of a general body and breath awareness? Does this experience have the tone of neutrality? Slightly pleasant mixed in with neutrality? Does it stand out as pleasant? It's slightly unpleasant. Is there something that's clearly unpleasant? Just that much is mixing the first and second foundations of mindfulness. Aware of our bodies, our breath Inquiring every now and then, do these experiences come with a neutral, pleasant, or unpleasant quality or tone? And every now and then you can inquire about your chitta, your heart-mind, as a direct experience. Is your heart-mind at ease with this simple embodiment meditation? Even if it's spacing out some, is there a general tone of ease. might also discover that you're hoping there's ease, but your actual experience is that there's something restless, something looking for ease but can't find it. But if you really taste your heart, mind, there's a dis-ease, there's a restlessness, there's an impatience, there sometimes we can sustain this inquiry and we don't lose focus we don't drift away so you might be able to see yeah I did notice some discomfort but as soon as I noticed it and was willing to breathe with it it itself let go And then more ease came. Or you might notice, yeah, there was a restlessness. And it didn't take long before my mind got caught up in the restlessness. And I was no longer aware of it. I was a little more submerged in the restlessness. When my mind kept wanting to change things. At that point, you can come back to the body. Or you might be able to say, oh, I was watching restlessness. I got caught up in it. And now I can see it again. at some point, it's skillful to intentionally reconnect with your body. Because the mind is a little more ephemeral. At some point, we do wander into stories. And coming back to your body and breath, you might notice the refuge of feeling your body and breath. The mind is hard to sustain contact with. So it's nice to have a place to rest your attention with more obvious qualities in breathing, out breathing, the posture of your body, the weight of your body. You can pace yourself however you like. If you find this interesting, you can do it more often. If you're finding that it's soothing just to be with your breathing, it's okay to stay with the first foundation. But there again, you might ask this mind caught up in greed or craving what I don't have or not? And if it is, can I explore that as a stream of direct experiences? What is the craving mind like? Seems like just seven... Minutes ago, I was content with breathing, but now I can't live unless I get red shoes. That's where all my happiness is. That's what this mind is telling itself. It doesn't want to let go of the red shoes to feel the breath. This is the craving mind. Wants what it doesn't have. Happiness is elsewhere. So there you have these options noticing a heart mind when it doesn't have greed, noticing when it does have greed, noticing when it doesn't have ill will when it does have ill will. Being mindful of your mind when it's baffled, confused, nothing makes sense. When your mind is not as confused and you understand enough to be doing what you're doing. then something else you can experiment with is observing yourself as your own friendly awareness again you can ask how is your name doing
1: Mm
0: -hmm. oh he was just spacing out that's okay humans do that his body is doing okay some soreness from sitting yesterday so there can be intimacy without taking what you're connecting to so personally you can get to know your body get to know your mind from a view of friendliness Be willing to walk the mic Any questions about the theory combined with the practice of adding in mindfulness of mind, especially from people who hadn't had a hadn't had a <laughs> hadn't had a, a chance to ask a question in the hall
1: yet? Hi, um, I'm a little puzzled, I guess, by the relationship between the dharma and and language. Mm -hmm. Um, I have found sometimes that, um, I know, you know, getting caught up in thoughts, sometimes also what feel like clarity or insights come in the form of very simple phrases. Um, you're talking about the Tarzan grunt, um, And also, all of your teaching sometimes, um, you know, a phrase or a paragraph or whatever that you say almost seems to have a physiological effect. You know, it moves some building blocks around or opens things up. So, yeah, so I guess I'm just wondering if, if you can talk a little bit about the role of, of words in all of this, you know, they they do seem to be how our minds, or even sometimes our our chitta, experiences knowledge or wisdom or insight. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if
0: that makes sense, it does make sense. So um, one of the things about having a human mind is that it comes with language, uh, so. It is a way that we process information externally with each other and internally, the way we sort language, the way we hold on to language, and the way we hold on to concepts or experiences sometimes is telling the story of them. And so our minds do have structure that language can work in, and languages do structure the way our minds work. It's just not the only way that knowing happens, but our minds are usually quick enough to add language. So that was fun. It was much faster than that was fun. But like my turn say, like, Hey, that was fun. So very quickly I can describe my experience. And what happens in daily life is we tend to let that part of us uh overgrow the garden because we are talking to each other and we are trying to keep our egoic life clear to us and so we're constantly talking to tell the story so that our world makes sense to us, as it is in daily life, when things move faster. And so what we're practicing here is not that language is bad or not to use it, but we want to give a lot more space so that language can just be birds flying through a more open space and maybe land on a branch and start talking to you and then fly off, rather than everything being uh, rendered into language. And that's often what our daily minds get so clogged with, is that we're trying to keep our narrative so straight that we have to keep telling our story to ourselves uh, to keep it straight. And we're actually learning. Actually, my storyline works out just fine if I rest that whole language piece. Yet, uh, it is also how the Dharma is taught and expressed. So language is beautiful But if we're trying to get it into healthy proportion, and some of it is to actually relax how much we're using internal language and external language to reintroduce ourselves to something more spacious, and then you do find that when language comes through, it's not all elbows in a market trying to push itself through all these other concepts, but there's more space for what you want to say and also space for listening. So we're trying to get that right proportion. Um, I'd be curious to hear more about the confused mind. Um, I've um, I've heard from like personal stories from Dharma teachers who have a um, uh, you know a greedy mind, who who have an angry mind. I haven't heard from people who have a confused mind. Um, I, don't, I don't I don't know if there's any any among here or or if you if you have like have other stories that you can share <laughs> Okay. Well, there are different personality types and some of them are more predominant like confusion you, know, you have a masters in confusion, a minor in aversion, but you only took electives in greed. <laughs> And so we'll all, we all have all three, but um, uh, I'm a diluted aversive. <laughs> which means that, if unless I'm in a shop with sporting equipment or really nice uh, kitchen supplies, I tend not to actually want a lot of things. And so I do kind of rest back in a floatiness until something irritates me, <laughs> and that's my default mind. But there's a lot of, like, a lot of dullness. And so on one long retreat, I was really sleepy, and I was fighting against it. And someone said, have you ever gone into it? I was like, oh, there's so much sleepiness. Like, how do you go into it? And it's like, well, be mindful. I was like, well, I'm too sleepy. It's like, but you cannot be mindful of it? It's like, not yet. And so that was my work. And in this sleepy mind, I was like, oh, my God. It's like being in a cave lit by the uh, uh, the weakest battery, weakest light bulb. And you, am I actually seeing anything with this light or am I making that up? And I like, okay, I'm actually, I'm getting little hits of what this sleepy mind is like. It's like there are two neurons and they're sleeping next to each other. <laughs> but every now and then they happen to like wiggle and the other one wiggles. And I like... And that's and I only have that much energy to work with. But that wasn't like a drop in, well I knew sleepiness. That took me weeks to kind of like so much sleepiness. I can't be mindful in it. It's like, well try again to be mindful in it. I was trying to change the sleepiness, but I actually had to kind of come down as quiet as the sleepiness. Then there's like huge flotillas of delusion that comes through, I was like, oh, I totally understand the Dharma, I should be teaching like, oh, it's as clear as day to me oh, oh. and then that passes and I was like, it's not all clear to me and that's also a confused mind that's billowing out with confusion, but it thinks it's genius so that's also quite a, like, oh, I get it I totally get it, I totally get it and I've done a lot of that and luckily there was a time between that genius and when I was meeting with the teacher. So that <laughs> I didn't walk in and I was like, move aside. <laughs> I, I totally get this. But sometimes there's like groggy states and after doing a lot of practice, I uh, actually got ill. I've been ill for the last 23 years with something called chronic fatigue syndrome. And it's, there's just sometimes not enough energy in this system to try, operate at the level that I need to to get through a day, and so it just feels like a muddy mind. And I, there was a time when it was so bad I really could not remember. Uh, it was way back before we had cell phones. I could not remember phone numbers. Once I had dialed many times, I would look at the phone and I was like, "Wow, I can't remember like the first three digits of this." My mind won't produce the information it needs, even on a low level. But I had enough mindfulness to be in the front seat of this experience and like, wow. And I, I'm someone who takes a lot of pride in clarity of mind and was very uh, praised in my family being an academic family. So I used to have a lot of terror when my mind was not clear. But after a while it's like, well, I'm holding my breath not to have this experience, waiting for it to be over or I could start exploring what is the confused mind like. And it's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm in the spaghetti and it's not clear. And it's just everything is spaghetti. So it's a sp- spaghetti mind. It's like, yeah, all these concepts are like lying on a plate. They're not organized. And I try to like follow one, but it's wrapped around another. It's like, it was so clear to me yesterday. I was going to like teach this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and then I would wallow around a lot, like, I can't be mindful now, no, I'm too too confused. It's like, actually, what is it like? And that, first I'd overcome, I don't even want to be here. I don't like confused mind. And then when I let that go, I confused mind is actually kind of peaceful, like, uh, ugh, <laughs> concepts. Let somebody else take care of them. <laughs> I'm just an animal breathing. Um, I'm a moss on a rock. Ah, oh, this is so sweet. Thank you, confused mind. It's actually quite tranquil. Oh, I didn't know that about the confused mind. It was agitating, but part of that was I didn't like it. But this confused mind is just... it's just spaghetti mind. It's not hurting anybody. And then mindfulness can be intimate. Not precise and getting all the angles and nuances, but it can be in your own spaghetti mind. And bit by bit, you kind of map out, oh, this is my false genius mind. Be careful of, of being public with this. This is my two neurons sleeping together in, in a king-sized bed. They hardly touch each other. This is sleepy mind... In camping, and one, one neuron rolls over, it hits the other neuron. This is spaghetti mind. This is, boy, what the hell is going on with this thing called life? Like, well, I don't know, how does anybody even do this? Like, okay, that's not quite spaghetti mind, it's not quite genius mind, false genius mind. So there, I now have many flavors of delusion, that I'm familiar with, and I find funny, and I'm no longer embarrassed about them. And that's because of mindfulness getting in there, taking out the personal story, and actually knowing them pretty well from within them. And that has taken time to do that. Hi. I've been um, noticing more mindfulness during sitting and walking than all other parts during the day on this retreat. And I've set an intention to cultivate and invite in that mindfulness continuously. And it doesn't seem to be happening. So I wanted to know if maybe you might be able to offer a tip and or maybe a word of encouragement about the value and importance of maintaining that continuity of mindfulness while on retreat. Thank you for asking that question. Um, There is more, there, there sounds like you have mindfulness that you know that you're less mindful. It takes some mindfulness to know as opposed to, or to know that you were checked out Graduating our mindfulness into informal times is a little more tricky because we're often doing random things or we're doing something as opposed to the walking, which has a, a form to it, or the sitting has a form to it. And so you can actually make little forms out of brushing your teeth, it's not a chaotic event where it's like, I don't know how this is gonna go. It's like, no, <laughs> pretty much I do about the same thing. This is what this is like, it feels like. This is what this feels like. And so then you make a practice and slowly you win parts of your day that are familiar and repetitive. And then that leaves the free form, uh, Parts where you are not doing something habitual and repetitive. And <clears throat> I used to try to get in them by making them formulaic. I'm moving in a certain way to kind of help my mindfulness. But I was looking too hard for something that was probably not available. I was looking too hard to have mindfulness be connected. And I had to be more in sort of a flow mind. And flow mind was going to be a little more wandering, and I was caught up in what I was doing. I actually had to think about what I was doing, because it wasn't formulaic, wasn't something I did every day. And that is a soft spot for me, for many of us, where mindfulness doesn't, doesn't quite know what it's doing, so it is tumbling a little bit. So many people find it's hard to be mindful when composing email, because you're in the composition time and you're writing something on a different topic but even that has some familiarity to it so unless you're trying to do something you've never done before and that's what you're doing you're walking down a hallway oh that's kind of like walking I am making a meal okay that has a kind of a form to it I'm walking but not back and forth I'm getting dressed I'm taking off my clothes I'm so then A lot of what you do is made up of things that you've done before, even if that particular circumstance is novel. And recognizing what is this basic activity. And sometimes you name the basic activity. This is cooking. This is what cooking is like. Okay, I have to make a lot of choices. I'm doing things. Take a breath, regroup. Okay, yeah. I'm cooking. Right, here we go. I'm back at it again. And so in your informal time See if you can find an approach that is oriented to what you're doing, but it won't be as simple as I'm sitting still, breathing in and out with a wandering mind. That's a that's a very small arena to, to work in, Or I'm walking back and forth with my eyes open. Now I have this free time. I'm, I used to get really nervous around free time because I... I wouldn't know how to be present in free time. It would just be too much opportunity and no patterns. But even it is made up of familiar things. So naming the activity sometimes is helpful just to give you an outline. You know, this is free time. This is just walking around. This is doing my yogi job. You know, it used to be hard to wash dishes and pots mindfully until I saw the the patterns that were familiar within it. This is spraying down the dishes. This is what it feels like. I can see myself having to move the dishes now. This is scrubbing the pot. This is lifting the pot. That's the clang of the sound of the pot. It's like, oh, this is getting familiar enough that I can make it now a practice. So unfortunately for time we have to stop there, um, the only announcement I have is that today we're starting the individual interviews. So we'll see all of you in one-on-one meetings. Um, on the schedule, it looks like there's 15 minutes for each interview, but it takes almost a minute to walk into the room <laughs> and sit down and collect yourself and almost a minute to take and go out. So they're really about 13 minute meetings or they start to stack up. Um, You can go and sit in the hall uh, or sit near and wait for your turn to come so that you get more of those 13 minutes than if you're coming from far away. We want to hear about your practice and then about your speculation about your practice. <laughs> so what's been going on for you while you're sitting? What do you, how are you practicing? What's coming up? What's been going on with your walking, with your eating meditations? What's been going on in less structured time? So we really want to hear with what you're working on. And then if, if it seems like you're in the ballpark and you have a complex Dharma question... There's room for that, but the, what makes the most usefulness is uh, keeping yourself actually in the flow of the practice, and there are other times to ask more abstract questions. So we'll try to keep it as close to experiential as possible. Are there any more announcements? There didn't seem to be many today. Okay. So you are in a stream of ever-changing conditions internally, externally. I invite you to be in that stream and learn what it's like to be human.